Regenerative Medicine today. This is John Murphy, and it's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast Dr. Ravi Balanconda. Dr. Balanconda is a professor and the Carol Ann and David D. Flanagan Chair in Biomedical Engineering and an Associate Vice President for Research at the Georgia Institute of Technology. Dr. Balanconda, welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. John, thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. So you have an extensive program in regenerative medicine and regenerative therapy, so perhaps the way to begin this discussion is to ask you to just share some of the highlights of those programs with our audience. Sure, John. So we are very interested in repairing the nervous system and pathologies and trauma to the nervous system. And my lab works at the intersection of the nervous system and using materials to create healing environments at the sites of injury. So specifically, we're very interested in bridging long peripheral nerve gaps that result when head and neck tumors are removed or prostate is removed, nerves are compromised or are in trauma. We're also interested in spinal cord injury and repairing chronic and acute injury after the spinal cord. And a part of my lab also employs regenerative medicine strategies to treat brain tumors, but we can talk about that later. So that's quite a diverse and interesting list of areas that you're addressing. So would I be correct in in saying that your principal focus is tissue engineering? It is indeed. We are very interested in healing of nervous tissue whenever it's damaged, either in the peripheral nervous system or central nervous system. It turns out that cancers are very good at co-opting biology for their benefit, and there are lessons to be learned from tumors, as perverse as it may sound, for healing and also to modulate and treat cancers. But our main interest is indeed to repair tissues that are broken, but we also have a part of the lab devoted to cancer therapy and nanotechnology. So for a moment, let's stick with the nerve gap repair. Can you briefly describe for our audience the state of the art? Sure. We've asked ourselves, you know, our peripheral nerves, which are all your nerves that are outside your spinal cord and your cranial cavity, are called peripheral nerves. And they, it turns out, have a limited ability to regenerate, as opposed to your spinal cord injuries or cortical injuries with traumatic brain injuries. The problem, however, is that when the injury is a little bit extensive, if the gap that is generated in the peripheral nerve is longer than, let's say, 10 millimeters or so, then the nerves don't regenerate. And my lab has been exploring ways to design bridges, if you will, to help those nerves heal. And so for the last 15 years, we've worked on many different strategies to make that happen. And we've just published a paper, actually, that we're very excited about, where we use the immune system to help us regenerate our peripheral nerves. So is the maturity of this technology to the point that clinical trials are foreseeable, or are we still in the basic research stage? The results are good enough that we actually filed a patent for some of the bridge designs. And the way it works, John, as you know, is that as a scientist, my principal focus is in inventing new therapies. But for it to get to the patient, the marketplace needs to take it and move it and make it available through clinical trials and such. So to do that, we actually formed a small startup company to help us do that so I can concentrate in the lab and invent the new therapies, and the business world with business expertise can move that forward. So yes, it is moving forward, 
we have a startup company that is commercializing the product to repair peripheral nerves. Very interesting. So you uh, introduced a moment ago your work on cancer. Can you elaborate on that, please? So we're very interested in brain tumors, and brain tumors are particularly tough to treat because they're very invasive in the sense that they use the axons in the brain as sort of guides to invade into other regions of the brain. And so we asked ourselves in the peripheral nerve world, one of the ways we get nerves to heal is that we have these support cells called glial cells or Schwann cells in the peripheral nerve, and we design bridges that use nanofibers. These are polymer fibers that are much thinner than your hair. And when you have such fibers that are all aligned in one direction, cells like to move along them. And in designing peripheral nerves, we discovered that if we made a bridge that contained a single very thin film, 10 microns, just for comparison, your hair is about 25 microns, a single strand. A 10 micron film containing these aligned nanofibers helps cells invade the gap and helps the peripheral nerve heal. When we were doing this work, we realized that brain cells like to invade and they use something like the nanofibers to invade the other parts of the brain. And so we asked ourselves, what if we designed a path for brain tumor cells to invade such that they would invade along a path that we specified instead of willy-nilly invading and into regions that we cannot deal with? And so we designed a device inspired by our work in peripheral nerve repair to essentially guide brain tumors to invade out of the brain and so where we can collect them. So it sounds crazy, but the National Cancer Institute is funding our study and our preliminary results look very promising. And this is what I mean by our approach to regenerative medicine and the science is that we want to understand the mechanisms by which the body does a few things. In this case, it is just cells moving from point A to point B. And we have designed scaffolds or polymer pathways using these nanofibers that are aligned to control cells moving from point A to point B in a manner that is easy and not very complicated. And so that helps us regenerate peripheral nerves. It also helps us actually fish brain tumors out of the brain. So this is perhaps a naive question, but what happens to the original tumor? It's a great question. So it turns out that This is a way to maintain tumor growth when tumors are in inaccessible regions for excision, for example, brainstem tumors. So our idea is to sort of provide a leak valve, if you will, using this pathway such that when tumor starts growing, instead of pressure building up in the brain, it has a way to come out of the brain. And we designed actually a gel that sits outside the brain that collects the cells that come out to kill these cells. So the idea here is not to completely cure the tumor in terms of extricating all of it, but to maintain its growth because tumors intrinsically are not toxic. It's when they start growing and applying pressure and pushing out other organs or blood vessels that we start having problems. So the therapy is specifically designed for inoperable tumors in the brainstem region where breathing and other functions are involved, and pediatric tumors also play a part in this area. But the the, the larger point in terms of regenerative medicine is that there are several things that the body does that are fundamental mechanisms, cells moving from point A to point B, recruiting cells to promote healing. And so if we understand these mechanisms, what my lab does is it uses materials like the fibers I alluded to, we use hydrogels, we use many other kinds of polymers and engineering tricks to recreate environments 
for biology to do what we'd like it to do, promote healing in the peripheral nerve and allowing the tumor to sort of migrate out of the brain in the, in the case of the brain tumors. So this, if I can call it a fiber wick, is there a maintenance issue with this? Not at all, because it's the topographic feature of the fibers that causes the cells to move. It turns out that cells of many different kinds, we've tested a whole bunch in the lab, like to follow either convex or concave cues of certain dimensions, about one micron to about 400 nanometers, submicron range. In that range, cells seem to like a feature and want to stay along the curvature and go along the fibers and not across the fibers when you have aligned fibers. And the idea now is to basically use this wick, as you said, to our benefit. And in the peripheral nerve case, it turns out the reason long gaps don't heal is because the glial cells that come into the nerve gap that make lots of proteins to help the axons to follow are unable to come in when the gap is too long. And by designing these fibers, we allow Schwann cells, which are the glial cells in the peripheral nerve system, to enter the gap and come to a sufficient density that helps the nerves heal. And so by a simple manipulation with no biochemistry, just putting the fibers in, we're able to use the endogenous repair mechanisms and alleviate the one constraint to healing. So the question is, why does a short gap heal and not a long gap heal? And the reason a short gap heals is because a blood clot forms between the two ends, and then the blood clot is used as a bridge for these cells to invade. When the gap is long, either the blood clot doesn't form contiguously, or it is dissolved very quickly and there isn't enough time for the cells to use a bridge. And by supplying the single 10 micron film in the middle, we basically given a pathway for the Schwann cells to invade, and they make all the biochemistry and all the proteins that axons like, and they regenerate. And we showed for the first time that we were able to bridge a 17 millimeter gap in a rodent without any proteins or exogenous things, just with this single 10 micron film. And since then, we've made more progress. But the idea is to use the endogenous healing pathways, find out what pathway is missing, and seeing if we can use materials to just alleviate that one constraint so we can get healing to happen in that situation. I call it minimalist engineering, if you will. The idea is driven by understanding the biology and designing the minimal solution to help alleviate that particular tissue healing. It's a fascinating outcome, and if I may ask, what is the growth rate for a long-gap nerve repair? The rule of the thumb is it grows about 500 microns a day, a nerve grows. But when you're bridging a nerve, it's a little bit different from healing a bone, which has a gap. When you bridge a nerve gap and a nerve is severed, what happens is not only do you have to grow back across the gap, but because the cell bodies are all to one side, you actually, after you enter the other stump, you still have to grow all the way to the end organ and innervate that organ, and your brain has to relearn how to use it. So the time to functional recovery is more than just growing across this gap. So 500 microns per day times the, whatever the gap is, you can do the math. But after it enters the other end, the nerves still have to make their way to the muscle, and then the brain will control the muscle to do this. So it takes a little longer than just bridging the gap. In the case of a bone, you're just interested in bridging the gap and having mechanical stability between it, and you would heal the bone gap. But in nerves, it's a little bit more complicated when you're bridging nerve gaps. So we learned a moment ago that the, in terms of the nerve gap repair, there's an initiative to move this forward to clinical availability. In terms of the cancer therapy, what's the status of that? 
The cancer therapy, we are very interested in this idea of invasion of tumors. The outcomes, it turns out, for invasive tumors, which is astrocytoma 3, grade 3, and glioblastoma grade 4, are very, very poor, the fire, unfortunately, and haven't changed in spite of very, very intense research from the 60s, the outcomes. The five-year survival rates are less than 3%, and it is very unfortunate. And what we are trying to ask is, is there something intrinsically nasty about these tumors, or is it the fact that they're moving that presents a tough target for our chemotherapeutics and other treatments to kill them? And we've just published a paper in Science Translational Medicine, it is a prestigious journal, showing that if we somehow converted brain tumors into non-moving tumors, if we somehow just contained them and prevented them from moving, then they respond really well to already approved conventional chemotherapy. So there's nothing intrinsically bad about these tumors that our chemotherapy cannot kill them and things like this. It is the fact that they're moving that presents the challenge. And so in terms of translation, our first thing that is moving forward is we invented this nanoparticle that stops brain tumor cells from invading. And we just published this paper last year, and that sounds very, very promising. When you stop brain tumors from invading and then treat them, with conventional chemotherapy, we have amazing outcomes. And I have never seen this kind of result in my lab or in any other's lab in the last 10 years for brain tumors. And so that we're also looking now to move forward. The university has some IP on it, Georgia Tech and Emory. My collaborators are at Emory Medical School. And so we're looking to license that or start a company and move that forward. Very interesting. So there's two emerging technologies. One is the nanofiber wick and the other is the nanoparticles. That's right. And both, interestingly, do two opposite things. In one case, the nanoparticles stop cells from moving but are not toxic themselves. In the other case, the fibers make cells move but in directions that you would like. And we use both of this to our benefit in both cancer and in regenerating nerves. There is another story that is developing which is actually very relevant to Pittsburgh and a story that Steve Badalak, one of your scientists here in the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine, has been pursuing. We just published a paper showing that it turns out that I alluded to the Schwann cells coming into the nerve gap to repair peripheral nerves. We asked ourselves the question, see, if we spent many years when we were trying to design bridges for nerves, making materials that nerves would like. And we discovered that while that was fine, if we made materials that actually Schwann cells liked, these support cells, not the nerve cells themselves, the support cells, and they invaded, then the Schwann cells recreate the environment for the nerves to grow. If you go progressively and ask another question, is there some other cell type that attracts the Schwann cells to be more regenerative and secrete better products? And it turns out that that story is true, that there are immune cells. You can actually bias the immune system to attract the Schwann cells which then attract the nerve cells. So in some ways, in biology, there are these healing cascades and scarring cascades. And at the node of these cascades, they meet at the immune system. The immune system, when there is injury, is triggered. And the immune system can either set up a sort of scarring phenotype or a healing phenotype. And what we are discovering is that if early after injury you can bias the immune system towards the healing system, then the immune cells do all the things that are necessary to attract the Schwann cells, which are the glial cells that I alluded to, which in turn attract the nerve cells. So if I'm trying to repair nerves, 
as counterintuitive as it seems, it is to our benefit if we understand the biological pathways of healing and exploit the pathways rather than trying to recreate a very complex environment to get nerves to heal ourselves. So it turns out there are these nodes in these pathways that are critical, and we call these master knobs. And the immune system is one of those master knobs. And if you bias that knob towards healing and not scarring, we can get nerves to heal much better than we've ever gotten them to before. So this interplay of understanding the biology and then using engineering to recreate biological environments is very, very promising. And that's what's exciting about regenerative medicine and tissue engineering in my mind. I appreciate that. And it certainly is exciting. I've had other guests on this podcast who have talked about the role of inflammation in terms of healing. How does that fit into this pyramid you just described? That is exactly right. In fact, there are two ways to approach our human body. In my mind, if you think about a car, a car, every nut, every bolt, every frame, every electronic chip in the car, we designed and we built. We know it. When you work with a human body, we don't know a lot of things about how the human body works. We know more than we did before, but we don't. And I call this in some ways dancing with nature. We approach the human body with a certain degree of humility because we don't understand all the things that work. And we are still discovering new proteins and new sugars and new lipids that we didn't know existed and the roles that they play. In this situation, my thesis is that it is best for us to try to tap into endogenous healing mechanisms rather than to, as we thought of in the old days of tissue engineering, that I would build somehow an artificial heart in a dish that would come in different sizes and you could order it and somehow you would get it implanted. My thinking is that that was a little naive in the sense that we thought we could recreate the blood cells, the nerve cells, the immune cells, and all the cells that needed to make a heart in a dish. I am of the belief that we will be better off by understanding why the heart muscle doesn't heal when it's injured, why the nerve doesn't heal when it's injured, why does it heal when it does heal, when the gaps are shorter, the injury is smaller, and then trying to basically utilize the endogenous repair mechanisms to cause healing. So fundamentally in regenerative medicine, I think there is a shift going on, and my lab and something, the Steve Badalak's lab and a few labs in the world are closer to the edge than the others, in thinking that we can get the body to heal itself. Why do young heal and not the old? Why does in diabetes certain tissues don't heal as well as when they do? If we understand these differences, then I think we will be able to fashion these minimalist interventions I alluded to to get tissues to heal. And it's not just nerve. We work in the nerve on the nerve in our lab, but there are others who work on muscle and bone. I think the same principles apply to other tissues as well. So, Dr. Balmconda, I uh, thank you for uh, coming and sharing your vision and the progress that you've made. You indicated you're dancing with nature, but I think the dance is more advanced than I had realized at this point. And I congratulate you and your colleagues for the progress that you've made. As we conclude this podcast, I remind our listeners that you can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine that sponsors these podcast series. And until we meet again with another interesting interview, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.